Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today is taken from our gospel reading from the Gospel of Luke, the 14th chapter, with an emphasis on these words. Jesus said, Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. Well, dear friends, it is that time of year again. If you haven't noticed it with the longer lines in Target, then you might have noticed it when trying to order food for delivery, grab a cup of coffee, or even try to find a parking space downtown. Yes, it's the time of year when the college students are once again with us here in Bloomington, giving us a variety of wonderful opportunities to welcome them back, not just to uh, this community, but also to our faith community. One of the, um, let's call it, fun side effects of seeing so many students gathered together in one place is realizing year over year how increasingly out of touch I am with the trends and norms of younger people. Uh, Confirmands, you guys can back me up on this, right? Yeah. Lately, I've been catching myself quite often tapping my wife on the shoulder every time that I see something or hear something from younger folks that just doesn't compute with me quite the way that it used to. And, and usually my wife is wonderful. She, she can give me the layman's term of what it means. But there's some especially difficult situations that stump even her, and that's when we have to bring out the big guns. That's when we have to text my sister-in-law, and she can always tell me what is meant or what I'm seeing, at least for the time being. So uh, the, there's, I, the reason that I bring this up is that there's one particular trend that I've noticed these last couple of years, uh, which is a decal. And, and this decal adorns the windows of, of many a, a rear vehicle all around town. You've probably seen it. It certainly piqued my curiosity. Th- this particular decal reads just two words. And those words are salt life. Uh, salt life is, is emblazoned in these big bold letters that are just so hard to miss. And it kind of made me think, what could this possibly mean? Uh, Ever slow on the uptake, I I decided that I just had to know. Perhaps a reminder to be ready for icy roads? No. An enthusiast group for people who love really well-seasoned foods? Nope. What about an ironic bumper sticker for folks who are suffering early-onset hypertension? Wrong. (laughs) Very wrong, Pastor Beck. Salt life, as I came to find out, is actually a term used to describe a person whose passion and hobbies revolve largely around time spent by the ocean. Things like touring beaches, soaking up sun, surfing, tubing, jet skiing, boating. Salt life is kind of one of those all-encompassing terms. And most recently, it's actually become a major clothing brand and aquatic paraphernalia purveyor. And I got to tell you, when I learned that, I was just a little bit disappointed Because when I see the word salt life, the very first things that come to my mind, being a pastor, obviously, is Matthew 5.13, which is the gospel lesson which runs parallel to our reading today from Luke. You've probably heard this. In Matthew 5.13, 
Jesus says to his disciples a word of encouragement. He says, you are the salt of the earth. We hear this teaching quoted often, but much like a Gen Z bumper sticker, its meaning can be lost on us if we don't carefully consider what it is our Lord is telling us in this text. What does it mean for Christians to be salt? Well, the more I pondered that question, the more possibilities came to my mind. So I texted my sister-in-law, and she gave me this response. You're the pastor. Why are you asking me? <laughs> so I thought I'd better get reading. In our, in our gospel lesson from Luke, the first thing that's worth noting is the distinction between this text and the one that's more often cited from Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew's account, Jesus invites his disciples to consider themselves salt in the world, salt in their actions with others. And Mr. Paul just did a wonderful job illustrating what that looks like in our children's message. We are a people set apart. Well, set apart how? Exploring this theme of salt, in the ancient world, salt served a variety of functions and purposes that we don't really consider all that much today. We think of salt and we think of table salt, right? Or if you're feeling fancy, sea salt, yeah? But in the ancient world, salt, more than just a seasoning for food, also served as the chief preserving agent in times before refrigeration. But there's more. Salt was also a potent antiseptic, which helped treat the wounds of soldiers in the field. Indeed, it was so valuable to soldiers in particular that salt was made part of their living wage. Salt was so valuable that during the Roman Empire, what were called salt roads began popping up all across the Mediterranean so that the Romans in particular had ready access to this valuable mineral. If a soldier was worth his salt, his salary would increase, a practice called solarium argentum, which is where we get our English word salary. If they were not worth their salt, well then, their wages would be garnished and the salt would be taken from their pouches. However, there's one more use of salt that I found of particular interest. That is another Roman practice where the conquering armies would salt the earth of their enemies so that the land could not regrow crops and so that they could not recoup their losses and regain their strength. Now, you notice in whether you're reading the Matthew passage or the Luke, Jesus doesn't come out and give a clear example of why he's using this illustration. He says simply that you are salt. But consider what he was calling his disciples to do. Through preaching and teaching, as well as the administration of the holy sacraments, the disciples and those who followed them in the office of the holy ministry, they were called to preserve the life of those they served through baptism and through catechesis. Furthermore, through right doctrine and practice, think First and Second Timothy, where he gives those list of qualifications for overseers, by their example, they were to salt the earth so that the old evil foe may have no grounds on which to thrive following his defeat by Jesus at Calvary's cross. In other words... What Jesus is telling his disciples is that to be salt is to serve both faithfully and uprightly in God's kingdom. But let's bring this back around to Luke now, since we've established what Jesus was saying in Matthew. 
You'll recall I mentioned there's an important distinction that we have to be aware of. I want you to listen again to Jesus' words from today. He says, salt is good, but if salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Do you see the difference? It's, it's kind of a law gospel difference when you think about it. He's not restating his teaching in Matthew, which is essentially go out and, and be salt to others. But rather in Luke, he urges them, see to it that your salt is not lost. In other words, you, you could, in the contemporary context, quote Jesus as saying, make sure that you're living that salt life. And now I'm seeing from the furrowed brows in the crowd here that you're already asking that good Lutheran question, what does this mean? To find our answer, we're going to go backwards. We're going to engage with the first part of this text from Luke, which we've kind of left hanging so far. Because here, Jesus tells us what he means in words that, surprise, surprise, are pretty difficult for his disciples and hearers. So what I want you to do right now is take a deep breath, buckle in, because it's a hard teaching. Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see the structure begin to mock him, saying, Hey, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not first sit down and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 soldiers to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while he is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple." Think about all that he's saying here, how, how packed this teaching is. Counting costs, cutting losses, weighing casualties, hating my loved ones, and even my very life for the sake of Christ. I'm starting to think that this is more than I signed up for. Did I perhaps miss something those 20-odd years ago when I stood up in front of my congregation at St. Paul Lutheran and Napoleon and I made my, my confirmation vows? This doesn't quite sound like how I was coached. Well, but wait a minute. If you look at page 273 in your hymnals, it's all right there. You'll, you'll read these words. Do you intend to live according to the word of God and in faith, word, and deed remain true to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit even unto death? And it continues, do you intend to continue steadfast in this confession in church and to suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from it? To which, of course, I answered with all the wisdom and foresight becoming of a 14-year-old, yes, with the help of God, while paying no real attention to what that promise entailed. 
Friends, Jesus is highlighting in this text another hard reality which many of us, myself included, would just as soon ignore. That discipleship has a cost. Following Jesus is not an easy road. Living that salt life, setting yourselves apart from your brothers and sisters in this world, is not all sand and surf and sunshine. There absolutely will come a crossroads in the life of each and every Christian where they are going to have to weigh the cost of witnessing Christ before family and friends, peers and co-workers, or even civil authorities. And then, if at that crossroads, you find yourself with more enemies than friends, more stony stares than listening ears, what is it that you are going to do? Simply pack up your Bible and call it a day? Will you lose your salt to accommodate the whims and the wiles of a fallen and sinful world? Well, today is the day where you're called to ask yourselves, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, what are the costs. Because believe me, those costs are often high. But at the same time as you heed Jesus' call to weigh the cost, I invite you also to consider the alternative that he is pointing out to you. For instance, what if you can't just bring yourself to hate all things for the sake of Christ? And it's important to note here that hate does not mean to despise them but to forsake them should they stand in the way of your salvation? What if that's something that you just can't do? What if you can't bring yourself to take up a cross? What if you cannot muster up the courage to suffer for this Christian confession, this saving faith? Well, consider for a moment. Can your father or your mother forgive your trespasses? Can your children or your siblings, as much as you love them, can they make you holy? Can the fleeting pleasures of this mortal life endure unto eternity? Can they? Well, the answer, of course, is they cannot. Jesus, in calling you to discipleship, asks you to consider these things and to formulate your priorities accordingly. He's not demanding that he comes first in your life because Jesus is petty or that he's insecure. Jesus must come first because nothing comes before him and nothing endures beyond him. He and he alone is the way that leads to everlasting life. And so, yes, Christ says, I am your first priority. I am the means by which you relate to husband or wife, father or mother, brother or sister. When you put any of those earthly treasures, even those friends and family whom he has given you and whom you so love, before him, you don't just condemn yourself for your faithlessness. You condemn them too. You rob your husband or wife. You rob your mother or father. You rob your brothers and sisters of faithful witness. You do not allow them to hear Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins, and so they are left wanting and hungry because you chose the easy way. 
When you fail to witness Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins, every time that it becomes uncomfortable or unpleasant, you, dear Christians, lose your salt. You rob those you love of Christ's gifts given here in the church and then out in the world through you. And so at that point, you have to ask yourself, what good are you to them? If you cannot do something as simple as convey the love of Christ to your neighbor in need, then what boon, what favor is left for you? You are like that salt which is no longer good for anything, not even the manure pile because it has now become corrosive. And so you're left to put out on the road and be trampled on, discarded, worthless, apart from him who made you, him who has called you to witness. But friends, if that thought is terrifying to you, if you're now thinking of all those examples, all those times where you have not witnessed Christ to your neighbor, then hear this good news. This gospel, which in this unique text, is at the subtext. That Christ Jesus himself, your Lord and Savior, he considered the cost, and he gave his life up for you. Consequently, he would have you follow in a better way. He calls you in the waters of baptism. He makes you his very own. He equips you and sanctifies you by his Holy Spirit, and he takes you once who condemned to be trampled underfoot, and he raises you up by his holy absolution and through the eating and drinking of his body and blood given and shed for you at Calvary. Jesus seasons you with the proclamation of his grace. He encourages you here in his holy house. He gathers you up in this fellowship to find your rest in him. Fed and nourished by these gracious gifts, your Lord and Savior, he sends you out to bear witness to the great love shown to you in this place. He calls you to go and make disciples enlivened in him. By him and through him, you are made worth your salt indeed. You are made fit to stand before the throne of God, not as a slave, not as a servant, but as his child and heir. And there, in Christ, you are given that confidence to withstand all trials and every cost, knowing that through him alone, you possess that one thing which endures unto eternal life, even Jesus Christ our Lord. So, dear friends, I urge you, stay salty. In Jesus' name, Amen. May the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in that same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.